0: Texas Talking, Oh, What was that that you said? Texas Talking, ah Gonna hoop upside your head Texas Talking
1: Tell me who can you trust When Texas goes on oh, yeah. Texas has Texas Talking Hello and welcome to the Tripcast This is Carlos Sanchez, the editor of the Monitor newspaper in the beautiful city
0: of Palms, McAllen, Texas, the current destination for thousands of Central American immigrants and for every member of Congress looking for a photo op. And now, here's your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the final week of July. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Nina Satija. Hi. Reporter Amon Batija. Hello. Thanks for joining us in the middle of summer. I know you all wish you were on vacation, but here we are, hard at work.
2: I am on vacation. I'm Skyping in from, you know, Belize or something.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm hoping nobody's listening to this while they're on vacation. That would spoil things. It would. Uh,
3: (laughs) You just made a bunch of people on vacation feel bad about themselves. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs)
0: They probably already do. They're the kind of people who vacation with their cell phones at hand. (laughs) Honestly, they've been drinking too much on their vacations anyway. You know who you are. Uh, Let's move on from vacation to... uh, like, very serious situation on the border. Why don't we? The – you know, there's a sort of – we've talked about this for the last few weeks, but there's ongoing developments, and the latest is that uh, sort of Texas law enforcement officials indicated that they did not ask for or or necessarily feel a need prior to Rick Perry's announcement that he was sending a thousand – up to a thousand National Guard troops Down to the border. The Department of Public Safety and the Texas National Guard both told a House
1: committee in Austin that, you know, in fact they had not asked the governor to strengthen their forces on the border. But they, you know, they both added that, you know, uh, but we don't think it's a bad idea. And um, uh, Steve McGraw, the head of the Department of Public Safety, said he thinks that the best measure of whether they're securing the border is going to be apprehensions and arrests. Apprehensions and arrests have been down for some time. They're at a 35-year low, the last numbers I looked at. But they're not zero. And he said zero is really the proper number. So you know they're going to continue with that. In the meantime, Perry was on a conference call, I guess, to uh, New Hampshire Republicans and referred to it as a battlefield, which isn't making you know business people and economic development people on the border very happy. But that's kind of the political characterization of this thing right now.
0: Right. I will say that Perry as a sort of tendency towards battlefield metaphors. I remember he referred to all the, you know, conflict at uh, UT Austin and the UT system in his emails to regents of the UT system as, you know, he compared it to the Battle of the Bulge and has used a lot of sort of militarized language there. So it might just be the way he describes things or the way he thinks of things. Just his favorite metaphors. But it's –
1: you know for the you know there's two things going on on the border i mean one of them is the thing we've all been talking about but there's also a lot of business and commerce and stuff down there and they're trying to do economic development and things and some of those guys are tired of some of those people are tired of being characterized as a war zone where businesses don't want to relocate and so you see i mean it's not getting uh as much attention as the other things but you know groups in el paso and mcallen and Harlingen and some others saying, you know, hey, we're we're trying to sell this thing down here.
0: Especially because, I mean, it, from what I've read of reports down there, like you had uh, the stuff Eric Benson wrote for Texas Monthly, it sounds very
3: calm in the cities. Right. You know. Well, and a lot of these people are coming across the border and instantly looking for the Border Patrol person and saying, I'm here, take me in. Take me to the battlefield. <laughs> Doesn't sound very <laughs> dangerous. Yeah. So, I
1: mean, there's clearly a border problem, and there's clearly a, you know, there's clearly a, there's quite clearly a political issue here. Um, But it's, you know, it's creating some dissonance for people that are just trying to live and work down there.
0: Well, and does this, does the testimony that, you know, people, that, that gives people ammunition to make the argument that this is more of a political move, a very expensive political move than a sound policy move, plus sort of these battlefield comments in New Hampshire, which is obviously a, presidential-related It's a battle gr- state. battleground state. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to see a battlefield. I mean, you know, does that, does that sort of open the door for the possibility that this could very seriously come back to bite Perry?
1: I don't know if it comes back and bites him. I mean, it's clearly an issue. It's clearly uh, an issue where the, the conservatives and the Republicans have kind of coalesced around an idea that, you know, we ought to secure the border, that we ought to do more to keep um, people from coming over the border. And as a political matter, I think it's a pretty clear thing. It also answers the biggest defect in Perry's last presidential run, which was you know, when he was talking about in-state tuition for the children of undocumented immigrants. The Texas law allows kids who have lived here for a certain number of years who have also graduated from Texas high schools to go to state universities and colleges and pay in-state tuition. And he found himself defending that And uh, found it pretty unpopular with Republicans in other parts of the country when he was running for president. So a lot of the hard line that he's taking now, photographs of him sitting with a gun on a gunship at the border, um, you know, um, those kinds of things probably help
3: on the political optics. Well, and also Congress is about to recess for five weeks. And if they don't put any money towards the border, Perry gets to say for the next month, I'm the only one who did anything. And, and it was Damn. his
2: idea that, you know, <laughs> yeah. nobody even told him to do it. That's they think true. it's a great idea, but they, he got to it first, right?
0: A <laughs> oh, man of action. And it seems to be working for him. I mean, his poll numbers appear to be moving in a positive direction. Yeah, they're bumping up. So, so I guess you can't, can't argue with success. <laughs> uh, so that's our update on that situation, I guess. Now, and might as well, since I mentioned the University of Texas system, give a little update over there for those people who have not been following yesterday's news
1: they, it's not a battle, battlefield, but they've gone. Well, mil, they've it, gone all military on it.
0: It is a battlefield, and that's why they brought in the commander of U.S. Special Operations Command, the uh, uh, Admiral William McRaven, who famously uh, planned the attack on Osama bin Laden that was successful. Uh, will be the next UT system chancellor, which is sort of a big name and a big job. Uh, you know, it's. I guess if he can handle Osama bin Laden, he can probably handle the tension with the Board of Regents. <laughs> uh, but I think it caught a lot of people by surprise because obviously he doesn't have the either background that you think of for a, a chancellor. Right? And most chancellors in Texas are either former politicians, usually former state politicians, or they are sort of former academic administrators. And he's. Neither of those things, but everyone seems pretty excited about it. So
1: the two big things in this job are can you run a big political organization and a big organization, a big non-political organization, and can you raise money? Mm. Right. And
0: can you get along with politicians? Right.
2: Let's not forget that he was a journalism major, J-school grad. I mean, chops so, right yeah. there. So, yeah, but that
0: actually <laughs> – another – another strike. So not every not everything lines up right. So, so <laughs> not good with money is what you are saying. <laughs> no,
1: well, he, he did they, Wait, did they know that?
0: <laughs> he cleverly sought other employment. So, you know, good. Did for he them. ever do
2: anything related to journalism or did he just he just
0: He has had many profiles written about him. <laughs> there
2: we go. He's interacted with lots of people. Yeah, that's right. Which is
0: a key part of the job. Yes, it that actually is, right. sort of is an important part of the job.
2: But uh, you know, the I
0: think the UT system uh, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not they'd be able to recruit for this position because right. they've had so much public strife over there. Yeah, who
1: would take a job like
0: that, right? Right, and uh, and I think it turns out lots of people, lots of very highly qualified people, and I think – Perry, early on, Governor Perry was was pushing for Kyle Janik, who's the head of Health and Human Services here in Texas. That didn't go too far with the board, I think, because they didn't want to have someone too closely tied to the outgoing governor.
1: And he got his undergraduate degree at another institution that caused some consternation in Longhorn Nation.
0: But that's also true of uh, Richard Fisher, who was the other – he came in second for the gig. He's the head of the Dallas Fed. Uh, And they also apparently – Strongly considered Bob McDonald, who just got named uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, former Procter and Gamble CEO. So, I mean, there are a lot of big names. Apparently they had 17 viable candidates. They whittled that down to nine. They got that down to two. And then they went with McRaven. So that also bodes well for the president of UT Austin job. I mean, if they were getting that sort of level of interest in the UT system job, despite the strife, uh, the UT Austin job, which is coming open in June 2015 – so, and how
1: fast do they one. do they start? Are they starting work on that president's job at the University of Texas at Austin now? I'm knowing that the current president's going to be there another year, or do they wait some time, or what, what's
0: the story? I think they. I think they can. They don't. There's not a huge rush, but I think they'll start to work on it. I think they'll probably maybe see some announcements about search committees in the next months or so. Uh, you know, they now that they've gotten this chancellor thing out of the way, they can focus on that.
1: Do the regents hire the president, or does the chancellor hire the, the president?
0: The regents hire the president, and the chancellors fire the president. <laughs> chancellor fires the president. So, so yeah, so we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens. But UT Nation, you know, the university boosters and alumni that have been very, very critical of the board in recent years have been very you know, sort of effusive in their praise of, McRaven. I, I mean, it doesn't hurt that he just he gave one of the most popular commencement addresses he's ever it, seen. It, it's it's a great address. This year. It's, you know, yeah. Actually, I've been making my bed uh, <laughs> just because he told the students to. So he's already done some good in the state of Texas. Yeah, that was his his first bit of advice was if you want to, you know, start the world by change start changing the world by making your bed or something. I forget. He put it. He put it better. That's why he's <laughs> chancellor and I'm not.
2: So are there many other chancellors of? Of university systems who were formerly in the military, I don't, you know, is there's like, is there precedent for this? Does that there's, make?
1: There's sense? some. Robert Gates was president of, was Texas, president A&M. of Texas A&M. Um,
0: okay. Janet Napolitano, I mean, you know, she was secretary of defense. <laughs> what <was> she, she's <laughs> over at the UC yeah. system. Homeland she was a security. Was yeah. homeland security. Yes. Thank you for thank you, Ross. Yeah, blank. <laughs> Filling yeah. in too late. Yeah. So well, <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon Napolitano is a uh, chancellor president or something over at UC. Their yeah. their titles are switched in yeah. California. They call what we call chancellors, presidents, and vice versa. So she's one but of those. But at least
2: they had worked in, like, government, you know, as opposed to – I mean, as opposed to, like, you know, being a military commander. I don't know. It just seems different. I think that's interesting. I think that is working in government. Yeah, but yeah. not in the same way. You're not yeah. – No, I,
0: I've been getting a lot of – sort of, you know, not on the record, but a lot of, like – well, great. I get that he killed bin Laden, but, you know, what does he know about academics? And I really just think that if you look at the other chancellors and you look at this guy's record, well, he's running what, a, what does he really need to know? He, as long as he has an appreciation for academics. Now, he's he's run. running a
1: big enterprise. It's like 67,000 employees, $10 billion a year. Um, he's, so he's done that. He knows, you know, how the organization, organizational behavior. I mean, he's been in, in the armed services for 23 years. Help
0: I think maybe 30, 30 maybe seven. longer than that. Uh, I think he's going to retire with thirty-seven. Years he, he's
1: he's been you know he's been at that stuff for a long time. Uh, he's walking into a place where they need somebody to sort of lead, and you know he's got the experience for that. And he
0: did design his graduate school curriculum in low intensity conflict, something or other. And we'll find out
1: you know over story. the next
0: we'll find
3: out over the next two or three years whether they did the right thing or not. <laughs> right, that's true. Well, and one weird note is just. In April, dot picked a new executive director, and base, his military background was the main selling point. He was, I have it up here, commander of U.S. Marine Corps Forces Command in Iraq, and so that's, I guess, is almost a trend now of Texas picking yeah, military gonna, yeah, people as leading. And that guy didn't have any. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of transportation experience, but he well, just kept it's saying, "A battleground over there." Yeah, he just kept saying, "I, I." Everyone who supported him was just saying, "Well, he knows how to run a big organization." Right. and they've had to build some infrastructure over yeah. there after they <laughs> blew it up. So basically, everything in Texas is a battlefield. If you
0: take away <laughs> nothing from this, you know, long podcast, take that away. But let's get back to politics for a bit, shall we? I guess uh, Amon, can you wrote a story about uh, the measurements on the political battlefield of Texas <laughs> and how they're going to to be more robust this time around? It sounds like
3: yes. When uh, in November, when people go to vote. Uh, I'm assuming everyone who listens to this podcast votes. Uh, when you walk out of some of them twice, <laughs> when you walk out of the polling place, you might get someone asking you a bunch of questions about how you voted and background about you know your ethnicity, your religion, your income, your education. That is going to be an exit pollster who is uh, there's planning for thousands of them in Texas to uh, get you know deep level data of who voted and how they voted in Texas. Exit polling has been done around the country for decades. But in 2012, the main group that does it decided to do just bare bones exit polling in Texas to save money. Uh, so they've, we, they, they've and we reported last week that they are planning to ramp up their polling in Texas this year because of the interest in the state. So that should mean there's a lot more data to work with after the election to understand what happened.
1: So you'll know things like, you know, how Hispanics voted as opposed to just how many people voted for this candidate or that one, how women voted, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Right. And after 2012, there was a lot of debate over how well Ted Cruz did with Hispanics. And we basically never got a good answer because we didn't have the exit polling.
0: Uh-oh. And Did they just decide that Texas was not worth the investment? Well, the, Is the polling industry hurting
3: the 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 group that does the exit polling now. They're called National Election Pool. There, it's a media consortium. It's made up of the Associated Press, CNN, Fox News, NBC News, and a few other uh, TV news uh, organizations. And they just said we don't have enough money, so we need to kind of focus where we think. Uh, they were basically focusing on where the presidential race was going to be the closing. The battleground states. Yes. <laughs> I knew somebody was going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, it was actually, I think, 18 or 19 states they decided we're going to do just bare-bones polling, which will give us enough to kind of say in advance who won that state, but not enough for researchers to go in later and find out you know, how many Hispanics voted for a Senate candidate or things like that.
0: And so is it is it mostly wonks that are excited by this? I mean, is there anything for the average Joe to – get pumped about when it comes to I think, more polling?
3: I think it's it's political junkies, but it's, you know, if you worked people work on campaigns, work with the parties, they they rely on this data to get a sense of, you know, were we close in this race? Did we have a, how did we do with this group and kind of figure out their plans for the future? And so I think they're really excited. And just there is this wide body of research going back decades based on this polling data. If you look up National Election Pool in like Google Scholar or something, you'll find hundreds of. Uh, Studies all based on this data. So, so was 2012
2: the only blip when they sort of scaled back? In
3: in recent memory, I asked people and they said we can't remember a year where they didn't do like extensive polling in every state. So it was in recent memory that was the first major one. Yeah.
1: Well, Texas has been one of the states where you know you could get really deep polling on different ethnic groups and different um, age groups. So you can find out, for example, whether Hispanics are not voting as much as Anglo's you know as a as a because they're hispanic and they've got a different culture or is it because the hispanic population is younger than the anglo population and older people vote more than younger people things like that i mean you're getting inside the numbers and figuring out who's voting who's not voting how they are voting um, it's useful to future campaigns
0: and this will also perhaps be a an interesting year to have that information given the sort of unconventional tati- tactics we're starting to see in the campaigns right you see Greg Abbott going up with his ads in movie theaters and will, will, th- will this be able to give us a better sense of whether or not that works we just transitioned into your other story that
1: may be your best segue ever yeah. <laughs> until you guys started talking
3: about the segue <laughs> <I> <laughs> well,
0: it's, it. good. it's good to have f- a feedback loop
3: <laughs> uh, yes there are a lot of uh, unusual campaign tactics being tried this year um, as we reported a few days ago battlefield <laughs> 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 I just wanted to say it <laughs> Um, You know, the tradition in campaigns is you, you you spend all summer raising money, and then in the fall you spend it all, most of it on television advertising, at least in Texas. And this summer, a few campaigns are actually spending money to reach voters. Uh, Greg Abbott is in movie theaters, which, as we learned from the comments on my story, people are not happy about. Uh, oh,
2: the commenters, anyway. Yeah.
3: And he's, <laughs> is it just in front of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? No, they were doing it in—, um, in That's the, a great movie, by the way. Everyone <laughs> go out and see it. Uh, in the theaters that they were doing, I think they were doing it in most of the screenings for every film. It was a little 30-second short uh, ad that has Abbott in a theater talking in his own movie theater. Everyone's watching the movie, and he's looking at a camera and talking about how—
2: And being incredibly rude.
3: <laughs> talking about how hard it is to make a movie, and but it's also hard to run a state, and he's ready to do it. And um, and then asking people to text uh, a a, a I think the word freedom to some number and they'll get campaign updates which when I talk to some experts about you know what, what is Abbott doing since most people aren't going to remember this ad building it's well, list right it's to, it's to build his donor base and to build his to, you know, base of supporters that he can reach out to when it gets closer to Election Day.
1: Were people griping because they were partisans or were they griping because they don't want to see politics stuff
3: in movies? I think it was a little both. Uh, okay, and I got okay. some I got some emails from people to just horrified at the idea of going to a movie to relax and then see so, an but ad. But, you know, it's weird. Okay, I, about help. political ad. Can yeah. people
0: not relax? You know, <laughs> you see objectionable things in movies all the time. Uh, I don't think that you can't get through a short political ad without getting too worked up.
2: How come we no one's the, tell
0: done them this them before? before? You know, <laughs> them,
2: it seems like an obvious strategy. Like, why was it has – it, has anyone done that before?
3: There have been um, some campaigns that have uh, advertised in theaters, but it's been very small around the country. It's, there hasn't been a lot of it done. It's well, still It's, not, it's not a great
1: place to, to um, advertise for action. Like, you know, hey, go vote because you're about to watch a movie. You know, So, I mean, it sort of combines – the modern technology, mm. you know, the action is sign up for this thing and get on our list so that when yeah. it, it, when it is time to text you, right. you know, but you're, presumably you're reaching those people, people will look that down that at their phone in November and they'll say, yeah. hey, go vote. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: and people are sort of forced to sit there and watch the 30-second ad. They yeah, can't forced. change the channel.
1: They study their milk duds. No,
0: but it is it – is, you have a captive audience in the yeah. way that, like, if you see – you know, every time I try to watch a YouTube video these days, I get a Dan Patrick ad, uh, and usually after the five seconds, it gives you the option to skip it. And I, this is, you know – I would do this for any politician. But I would skip <laughs> as soon as possible.
1: So, if you're a politician, in the first five seconds, say your name and yeah, vote for right. me. Right.
0: <laughs> but you do have—I mean, even if, even if they're yeah. uncomfortable and enraged, they still have to
2: sit there mm-hmm. and watch the whole thing. And you know who the—you per- know the person's name now if you didn't before.
0: But actually, the Abbott's call to action uh, to text or tweet or whatever in his ad that was running in sort of conventional movie theaters did prompt this sort of response. PSA from right. the Alamo Drafthouse, which is, you know, Austin's favorite movie theater chain and, and probably... Right, and they're, famous for, really they're famous for these shut-up commercials
1: at the beginning of, of movies that, you know, tell you not to text or talk during the movie, and so mm-hmm. they took off on the Abbott
0: movie. And they said, basically, like, this guy's in a movie theater talking, telling you to text.
3: Well, what's interesting is it's a third... ignore him. Abbott's ad is 30 seconds, and Alamo runs the first 15 seconds of it before interrupting him and saying, don't listen to this guy, we'll kick you out if you... Yeah, uh, it's yeah. kind
2: of... Great for Media Abbott. For him. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, and Wendy Davis had a really funny response. She tweeted that, um, you know, I I I I spoke nonstop for eleven hours, but even I know not to talk in the theaters. <laughs> it's a really funny response.
1: So I guess you know, I guess one of the I guess one of the things that you have to calculate when you're doing these things is do you make as many people happy as mad? Yes. Right. You thinking, don't want to you don't want to backlash? be doing your own negative advertising. Oh, that's that theater guy. You know. Mm. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine coming out of Donna the Planet of. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which was Can't even great. imagine saying like, the title of it, yeah. <laughs> And just thinking like, ah, but if only it weren't for that political ad before it started. <laughs> this would have been a great day.
2: But, you know, I saw another politi- kind of political ad. Like, I, I, this is the first time I've heard of this happening in, you know, during trailers and movies. And the other one I saw was for that Glenn Beck movie. Was it the Glenn Beck The one about the Common Core and... Well, that was oh, a trailer for a movie, though. Right,
1: that's a movie trailer.
2: Yeah, but it was like a very political movie. Well, I think probably,
1: like, you know, the Michael Moore movies, when those were when those yeah, were were saw so. the trailers I just, for those? Yeah,
2: it's so rare that I've seen that in a theater. I guess it is kind of a, you've got to make a calculation. That's always
1: how I judge the movie people. I'm about to see. It's like, you know, they show you certain trailers and you go, wow. So if I'm seeing this movie, I'm right. in the demographic for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, why am I watching Terminators again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> is is uh, Abbott's opponent, Wendy Davis, even up on... TV yet
3: let no. alone in movie theaters No she's not up on TV uh, and neither is Battleground Texas and she's not expected to until probably around Labor Day is when it's expected to start and it's, when you're expected to really hate television for the next 3 months You know
1: it's it's really early for the ads to start they you know they typically start around you know everybody likes to say after Labor Day it's mm-hmm. you know after kids are back in school people have stopped vacationing you sort of turning your attention to these things Abbott's in a Sweet spot because of his money he 's got thirty five million dollars thirty six million dollars in the mm-hmm. bank, um, which is probably enough to do this uh, <laughs> and he could advertise wall to wall on TV in Texas through election day now if he wanted to if that 's all he spent that money on so you know they they have the luxury of doing that there're also a bunch of tinkerers in that campaign. Um, you know Dave Carney and some other people like that who like you know messing around with ideas like this. You know what if you put a thing up on TV and did the text thing, what would that do?
0: Or a lot of the a lot of these guys were involved in the Perry uh, gubernatorial campaign where they didn't do yard signs. Right, and, right. right. Yeah, two thousand six.
1: So I uh, you know there's there's some tinkering going on here. They've got uh, you know they're not cash strapped. They don't have to make a lot of decisions about you know we can't do this if we do that. They can they can kind of do everything.
0: But if you're if you're uh, the underdog in a you know, state where basically no one has been able to move the needle for your party for by doing the conventional <clears throat> campaign for the last couple decades uh, is doing a conventional campaign and sort of doing ads when you're expo- supposed to do ads and that sort of thing. Is that really a good plan? Especially when the other guy is going ahead and experimenting and doing all sorts of different things. It may be the, you know, what the. This may be one of those cases where the conventional
1: wisdom is right. I mean, it's been tested a lot. A lot of people in, in politics, you know, think that an ad in the summer is wasted. You know, you're not at the decision point that the the voters aren't thinking about it. They don't want to be thinking about it. Um, it's not time yet. And and the Davis campaign, I got to say, you know, uh, Abbott has a ton of money. Davis has raised a lot of money. And and you know, winning
3: or losing this race
1: doesn't look like it's going to be a, a financial proposition.
3: You know, Mike Collier is running Democrat running for comptroller, he, as I mentioned in the story, he uh, has run some ads in on broadcast television in a few markets for like a couple weeks at a time in Houston, San Antonio, and Austin. And his campaign said they did it because they just kind of wanted to boost his name ID and kind of get people thinking about the race. And they claim that it's helped them in those markets. And, you know, I talked to some experts who kind of said that what he really might be doing is trying to convey to donors and activists that he's a serious candidate and that, you know, he's willing to invest energy and time into this campaign and you should not just be focused completely on the top of the ticket. These mm. TVs might call you. Right. <laughs> uh,
0: well, let's, let's move from politics to policy, shall we? Absolutely. S- specifically water policy.
1: <laughs> oh, that's not political. Not, not at, at all. all.
0: <laughs> no. Uh,
2: well, <laughs> no battleground there. <laughs> yeah,
0: the battlefield of water. Uh, we, were, we were talking about sort of, you know, unconventional... Tactics and campaigns. What can you tell us about unconventional tactics and evaporation suppression <laughs>
2: well, campaigns? <laughs> well, One once of again, your worst sayings ever. <laughs> once again, Wichita Falls is sort of being watched by all by all of Texas, at least water planners and water officials who are hoping that this might actually work. Um, what is this? The basic so the basic issue is that evaporation is a huge source of water loss for the world really but especially for texas which is particularly hot and dry we lost two trillion gallons of water to evaporation in the state last year what's normal what do you mean what's normal? I mean two, <laughs> I mean Ross is you asking the, about be, water.
1: Maybe in general. It, it may be in a, in a regular year you lose two trillion dollars.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, the... two tri- yes, it might be. That's certainly true. Yeah. yeah. I mean last year was not a particularly hot year. We probably lost way more water in two thousand eleven, which was the, you know, crazy hot summer. So but no, we'd like the to idea keep is some, not that we'd like to keep yes. more water on the ground than we have in the moment. Exactly. No, and the idea is that this is that two trillion is probably not the most abnormal number. It might be more than previous years, because it's still generally hotter than it was 20 years ago. But yeah, this is always an issue. We didn't really care about it before there was a drought. Now there's a drought and we care about it. And we're thinking about the drought continuing and future droughts. So how do you stop this from happening? It's really a very simple solution. You just put something between the water and the atmosphere. It's really not that scientific. Um, so as I put said, the in, top back on the
1: door,
2: <laughs> you know, really? Yeah. So as I said in my story, you know, uh, we've heard about people putting ping pong balls all over, all over a reservoir. We've heard about people trying a giant piece of tarp, plastic film. You know, all of these things would work so much for boating fishing. How do the ping pong balls work? You just cover it in, pim- in ping pong balls. You just, you they fl- know, you they float. dump reef. them while they float. Yeah. And, and so they form sort of an nice effective
1: evaporation shield over the light.
0: Well, that sounds like a ton of fun. That sounds really? like, sounds like
1: yeah. a very, very creative <laughs> ping, pong, ping pong ball manufacturer who uh, kind right. of overshot sales. <laughs> well, and you could problem. get
0: I mean, different. Maybe we could cover a lake with these. You could get different color ping pong
3: balls. Yeah, that sounds I like, like an so art beautiful. installation.
2: Really? Honestly, yeah. It's just that, you know, if people live there, they may not really like that that much and they can't really get their boats out, although they can anyway on Wichita Falls. So, you know. Mm-hmm trade-off. So um, what are they doing in Wichita Falls? So they're, what not, tried, they're not opting for ping pong balls. No, they're not. What they're doing is they're using a, a powder-like substance, which is actually pretty unusual even in the world of evaporation suppressants, as I've learned. Um, uh,
1: <laughs> wow. We should start our this is really my job. specialty magazine. <laughs> oh,
2: so it would get lots of suspicions. Today
1: on evaporation suppressants.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it's a powder. Um, and it's it's uh, it's ninety percent basically lime lime based powder. It's food grade lime. You can you know, you, you wouldn't die if you drank you could, you this water. Eat it. Yeah. yeah, you could you could eat it, it wouldn't taste good, but you know, it's edible. And um and then the other ten percent is an alcohol that's extracted from palm oil. So it's really, what what does the trick is the, is the oil extract, because that's kind of like this little sort of film that will float right below the surface of the water and right. serve as that barrier. The powder, supposedly, according to this company, Flexible Solutions, which makes this product called Water Saver, cleverly named, mm-hmm. um, what the company says is that this powder is made of these different ions that are all the same charge, and so they'll repel each other. They're like little magnets. And they'll all sort of, they all, they don't want to hang out together, they want to kind of spread out
0: mm-hmm. it's like um, us here
2: exactly yeah you know totally so um <laughs> that's kind of the that's the idea and the reason that that's important um is that the reason most people haven't used evaporation suppressants is because it gets windy so mm-hmm. if you have a bunch of you know a uh, little palm oil extract or whatever it is on your lake and then the wind blows it'll all blow to one side of the lake and you don't have evaporation suppressant on most of your water and then you've got to reapply it and you know it's this just a pain. the obvious problem with the ping pong ball model Well, so actually, the ping pong pong ball model, I mean, if you totally cover the lake in ping pong balls, they don't really have any – like, it'd have to get pretty windy. Like, maybe it could kind of work. And tarp wouldn't – you know, you wouldn't have an issue. But anyway, palm (laughs) oil extract, you know, it would sort of blow to one side. So the point is that this powder is supposed to fix that. A lot of people think that's kind of silly and it's it's a totally bunk argument and it's not going to work. So we'll really have to see how this goes. Is
1: there a thing that – some kind of suppressant that has worked? Is there some kind of like a – up until now, we've used X.
2: That's the thing. Nobody on – no large reservoirs have ever really used this kind of stuff. I mean, this these types of powders and some of the oils have been re- pretty much used by people who have swimming pools because then, you know, it's not that expensive to have to reapply it if it gets windy because, you know, you just – you don't have that big of a swimming pool. But really, if, from the research that I looked at on this particular product, the biggest lake it's been used on um, – Before this one in Lake Arrowhead was like maybe 500 acres or something. And Lake Mm -hmm. Arrowhead is right now 5,500 acres.
0: What do you call someone from Wichita Falls? Wichita Fallian? Faller? Fallite? Are they at all concerned about people just uh, pouring? Dry. Tons of powder into their water?
2: <laughs> I think there was some concern about that. Because what they actually have to do is this powder biodegrades in the water. So they have to re- reapply it every three days. Three days? Wow. <laughs> every three days they're going to reapply it. must be terrible
1: it. to have that contract. So
2: are they drinking this water? <laughs> they are drinking this water. They don't drink it right out of the lake. And the water treatment plant, you know, let's hope.
1: They're the water... through the water treatment plant where they're treating uh, <laughs> yeah. wastewater. Um, Great. So and actually, right. the earlier you know, thing that they were alarmed about. the water
2: treatment plant can... You know, there's there's pretty good evidence that the water treatment plant can handle it. I mean, the you know Texas Commission on Environmental Quality has spent a lot of time looking at that. Um, I don't think more people. I think more people probably wonder about the impacts on wildlife, on fish in the lake. There just really aren't a lot of studies out there for a lake of this size. You know how right. that would impact, mm-hmm. you know, fish and other. It, it seems like yeah. I mean, it's food grade lime, but you're fish like with a little bit of, of lime thousands of pounds of this in the water. Well, Well, and the lake's got to breathe
1: some, right? It it cut off the oxygen, too, right?
2: Well, that's one of the concerns. That's true. Yeah.
3: So is Wichita Falls, they're planning to measure this somehow to see, like, they have a way to tell if it works? Yeah. And
2: there's a, I mean, there's a pretty good method for measuring water evaporation that's been perfected over the years. And Mm -hmm. actually, it's the Water Development Board, the state water planning agency, that's going to be doing the official analysis of all this Mm -hmm. to kind of make it so that, you know, Wichita Falls really wanted to pressed that point on me that we're not looking at this it's the state that's looking at this and they're going to have the right data mm-hmm. so and they'll and they'll be they've got to monitor the water quality every day they've been doing that so far we've only been it's only been a few days so they don't really have any results yet but um if something goes wrong you know they they're going to have to kind of stop doing what they're doing right away but right now i mean you know lake arrowhead is 20 it, it i said it's 5700 acres it should be 11 it should be fifteen thousand. It's a third the size that it normally should be because it's lost so much water. Wow. And actually, to even get this boat in the water to dump this powder in there, they had to use a tractor because the boat ramps are you know, way up out of the water. So they're oh, really wow. in a pretty desperate situation.
0: Well, this podcast is about 100% of what it should be. So <laughs> let's end it. <laughs> That's, that's optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I'm purely in, in time. First long. time for everything. Yeah. Of the
3: battles in yeah. Texas so far. <laughs> uh,
0: if you have questions or comments or any battle plans you'd like to share, please email them to tripcast at texastribune.org. Uh, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs, as always, for doing our music. And on behalf of Amon, Ross, <laughs> Nina, and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening.
1: Mm -hmm. Nothing really funny is going on.
0: That's good. Okay, (laughs) let's (laughs) go.